Hey friends at Reality San Francisco. Uh, if we haven't met yet, my name is Eugene Cho. I'm a pastor here in Seattle, Washington. And I had the pleasure of being with you and your church about a year ago in a radically different world. I've also really appreciated building friendship and relationship with some of your staff, including your lead pastor, Pastor Dave Lomas. And I just want to extend my gratitude for your generous support for One Day's Wages as well. So uh, about a couple of weeks ago, I began my new role in addition to One Day's Wages, serving as the president and CEO of a Christian advocacy organization in Washington, D.C. called Bread for the World. And if you have a chance, please check us out at bread.org. Right now, you're in this new series entitled Strangely Dim. And to learn about how does Jesus, the heart of Jesus, the character of Jesus, how does Jesus speak to us in a world that seems strangely dim and broken and stark? So it's with that in mind that I want to call your attention to the Word of God, to the Gospel of John, chapter 21. John 21, verses 1 to 14. Listen now for God's Word. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to His disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathanael from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish. Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Well, friends, John 21, this particular story, and there's a second part of this story as well, that's also so beautiful, that gives us a fullness of Jesus' heart and character. But this story happens to be one of my all-time favorite stories, not just to teach, but just to come back to again and again, to read and to soak in God's presence and God's Word. 
Now, there's two reasons why I really love this story. Reason number one is that it's a fishing story. And as someone that loves the outdoors, including hunting and fishing, I love this story. I imagine myself in the boat with the other disciples, casting the net, trying to catch as much fish as possible. In fact, I am sharing one of my favorite fishing pictures with you right now. Now, you might be wondering, what's the point of me sharing this photo of my prized largemouth bass? There is no point. Like a true fisherman, I love to boast about the fish that I've caught. Now, on a serious note, the second reason why I love this story is because when you peel off the layers of what just seems to be a casual, nonchalant, disciples being bored, I'm going out to fish story, there's actually so much more. And in some ways, I think it speaks to the theme of the disciples being discouraged by circumstances and situations, and it appears as if things are strangely dim. And it's in this context that Jesus reappears and reminds the disciples, Peter and the others, who he is, what he's called them to do, and what the kingdom of God is about. Now, what do I mean when I say, when you peel off the layers? Well, friends, I believe, along with other pastors and theologians, that this isn't just another fishing story. That in essence, when Peter says, I'm going fishing. There are theologians and pastors who believe that when he says, I'm going fishing, what he's really saying is amid all the frustration, tension, conflict, uncertainty, doubt, what Peter is really saying is, I'm done. I'm tired. I'm exhausted. I'm unsure. I'm weary. I'm to fill in the blank. Perhaps even for you, especially in this season of your life or my life, our city, our state, our nation, our larger world with all that is going on, the exposure and the exploitation of racial injustice and pain, amid all the global health pandemics, perhaps we feel so discouraged. Perhaps you're in a season of your life right now where you're saying to yourself, this isn't what I signed up for. Maybe it's work. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's church. Maybe it's you fill in the blank. But if you're anything like me, there have been moments and seasons of my life where I thought to myself, this is not what I signed up for. This is more difficult, more painful, more tense than I could have ever imagined. Strangely dim. I'm going fishing. I'm done. And I quit. Maybe this is something that resonates with you. Maybe you're going through it right now. And not that I wish this upon you, 
But I am certain that for every one of us, there are going to be moments in the future where we'll also experience this. And so God's word today speaks to us about how Jesus gives us his presence during those moments. So today, I want to speak to you about four or five things that we can learn and glean from the scripture about Jesus being our North Star during these strangely dim moments. Here's point number one. And I truly believe the first point is the most important aspect, not just of this story, but really of the scriptures. It's the first point, and here it is, three words. I'm pausing for dramatic effect. Three words, here it is. When all things feel confusing, dim, and you feel lost, you keep coming to point number one. You keep coming to these three words. Here it is. Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. Amid all the complexities of these stories and details, disciples and fishing and breakfast and Peter swimming in the water, amid all of these details, what might get lost is that this Jesus Christ, who we believe to be the Son of God, Jesus Christ, Lord, Savior and Messiah, He was crucified. He had died and was buried and this same Jesus, just as he said, is now alive. And this Jesus, as scripture tells us, that there are 11 distinct recordings and stories of multiple audiences that see for their own selves. In fact, this story here, scripture tells us, is the third time that this group of disciples see the risen Jesus. Friends, in other words, Jesus is who he says he is and he will accomplish what he says he will accomplish. Amid a confusing, difficult, tense, strangely dim world, I know it's not Easter Resurrection Sunday, but again, May we proclaim and trust and have faith and be comforted and be encouraged by the good news that Jesus is alive. That's point number one. And as we read this story, don't forget this, that this same Christ who had been crucified in the most inhumane, unjust way was raised by the power of God and Jesus reigns supreme. Here's the second thing that we can learn from this story. We have to ask the question, why was it that the disciples, why were they frustrated? Why were they upset? Why were they exhausted? Why were they on the edge of saying, I'm going fishing, which means I'm done. I wanna go back to what we were doing before we encountered Jesus. That's what they meant when Peter said, I'm going fishing. It wasn't just, I'm bored. It was, I wanna go back to what I was doing before Jesus called me to be followers of him. Well, the reason why the disciples, even though they've had two previous encounters with the risen Christ, is something that I call an obsession with clarity. 
You see, to be human, I believe, no matter what your personality type, no matter what your Enneagram is, is that every single one of us, we have this conundrum of control. We all want to be in control. In fact, you could make a case that one of the reasons why during this COVID time, the reason why this is so challenging to all of us on some level or another is because we're reminded that we're not in control. And it disturbs us. Some of you might be thinking, well, where and how does this factor in with the disciples? I'm trying to imagine the disciples having their experience with Jesus. Jesus dies, he reappears, the power of God, he's risen again, he shows up, he reminds them of the great commandment and the great commission, go into the ends of the world, to Jerusalem, to Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth, and I can just imagine the disciples being so encouraged by this vision and imagination of God's kingdom that Jesus has given to them, there's a rah-rah moment, they're jumping up and down, and then Jesus disappears. And then I'm almost imagining the disciples thinking to themselves, okay, now, how do we actually do this? You see, vision, friends, is a really interesting thing. It's beautiful that we have a vision, but God doesn't give us the exact specific turn-by-turn, situation-by-situation details of our lives. And that's the reason why the disciples are at that edge of quitting. It's because they wanted clarity over their life. As I look back at my life, I think to myself, when I first became a Christian at the age of 18, the most avid, the most pervasive prayer that I lifted up constantly was something like this. God, show me my future. As a freshman in college at UC Davis, having graduated from Lowell High School in San Francisco, I would constantly pray that prayer, God, show me the future. And I was very specific. God, show me what major, show me what job, show me who I'll marry, show me who I'll marry. I said that prayer multiple times. And every single time, God never answered the prayers in the ways and the fashion that I wanted God to answer those prayers. As I look back now, I am so grateful that God didn't answer those prayers in the way that I wanted. You see, had God told 18-year-old Eugene, I'm turning 50 in a couple months, had God told 18-year-old Eugene that I would crush my parents' hearts who had ordained me to become a doctor, it's a classic Asian conundrum, parents who grew up in North Korea, who knew poverty, who weren't able to go to school, they immigrated with one obsession, that their three sons, including their youngest and the most handsomest, Eugene Cho, would succeed in life. And I was ordained to be a doctor, and so I still recall calling my parents, asking them for their blessing as I felt called to go into ministry. It was a brutal phone call.
so brutal that my parents disowned me for two years. Had God told 18-year-old Eugene that my wife and I would engage in a cross-cultural marriage. She was born and raised in Korea. I was raised here in the United States. We would have three beautiful children, but one of our kids would have a lifelong chronic illness. And we would spend not just days, not just weeks, not just months, but years after years going to doctor after doctor, specialist after specialist, hospital after hospital, had God told 18-year-old Eugene such things? Had God told 18-year-old Eugene that as a 30-year-old church planter with these ambitious dreams of planting this church called Quest Church in the urban core of Seattle, Washington, but things just didn't quite turn out the way that we initially envisioned. And for a year, I'd be unemployed while my wife was about to give birth to our second child. Next thing you know, I realized that a master's of divinity degree is useless to society and no one would hire me. And the next thing you know, we're on food stamps. And the next thing you know, we're on state insurance programs and other welfare programs. And at the age of 30, and I'm not suggesting that this job is a bad job, but the reason why it was so challenging was because it never registered in my imagination as a 30-year-old planting Quest Church to spend about a year working as a janitor at a Barnes & Noble store in Linwood, Washington. Now, granted, it became the cleanest Barnes & Noble store. Got to have pride in your work. But had God told 18-year-old Eugene such things, and I can go on and on, you know what I would have done? I would have ran the other way. I'm not suggesting that God made a mistake, but sometimes when I read the story of God and Jonah, I seriously wonder if it was a case of TMI, like too much information. And Jonah, in his immaturity, was unable to handle the revelation of God. And what does Jonah do? Jonah runs literally the other way. You see, friends, the reason why God doesn't reveal all the details of your future is because God loves you. And in fact, it's a reminder to us that the good news, yes, is salvation, forgiveness of sins, reconciliation with God, our Father, through Jesus. That's the gospel. But the additional component of the gospel is not clarity. It's not control. The gift of the gospel is that we have the gift of the presence of Jesus. And so I imagine Peter and the others being so obsessed with details and control. How do we do this? And this story reminds us that in a strangely dim world, we're not gonna get all the details about the future. Every single one of us, we've been asking ourselves, when and how will COVID end? What are the details? No one knows. 
The gift is that Jesus is with us. His presence. His presence is the gift in a strangely dim world. Romans chapter 8 verses 38 to 39 reminds us that nothing will separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 5 tells us, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Here's the third thing that we can learn from the story, and it's this phrase, learn to listen to God's voice. Like many stories in the Gospels, there are things that we can learn from the disciples about what not to do, but we can also learn about what they did and how they learned. Initially, they had no idea who this voice was. A voice from shore says, friends, haven't you any fish? Now, by the way, it's important for us to note that anytime Jesus asks a question, he's not really asking a question. He never asks a question for his own benefit. In other words, when Jesus hypothetically were to ask you, how do I get to so-and-so? It's not because Jesus doesn't know how to get to so-and-so. It's because somehow in that process, Jesus wants us to learn something deeper. So what is it that Jesus is trying to show us through that question, friends, haven't you any fish? See, Jesus is speaking to Peter and some of the other disciples who were what before they met Jesus. They were professional fishermen. They made a living. They had a small business. They may not have been wealthy or super wealthy, but they had their own small business. They thrived. And Jesus is telling us, you could be an expert. You could have contacts. You could have resources. Here are the disciples going fishing. And if they're anything like me, they fish that body of water thousands of times. They know the best spots, the best techniques, the best methodologies, the best whatever you can imagine. They knew how to catch fish in that body of water. And yet, they caught nothing. For us as followers of Jesus, it's a reminder to us that apart from Christ, apart from our dependence on Christ, apart from our willingness to listen and surrender ourselves to the voice and the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit, we might be able to do it in the short run, but in the long run, we can't do anything apart from Christ. And that leads me to this third point. We need to nurture our ability to listen to the voice of God. You see, in the midst of all of this, they hear this voice, friends, haven't you any fish? And as they interact with this voice, they then begin to realize that it's Jesus. And the voice of Jesus animates them, energizes them. It recaptures and rekindles their imagination. Friends, you probably have heard some of these statistics about 
the fast-changing pace of our world because there's so much noise. According to one research, it says that the average American over the age of two, by the time they reach 65 years old, will have spent about nine years, over nine years, being glued to screens. Our phones, our tablets, our computers, our televisions, and the list goes on. That's about nearly five million minutes of our eyes, ears, will be just soaking in the messages of this world. If Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, fully God and fully human, chose to regularly, rhythmically retreat for silence, prayer, and time with God the Father, how much more do we need this gift of the presence of Jesus in our lives in a strangely dim world? Listen. Be still. Seek after God's heart. The fourth thing that we can learn, and the last point that I want to make from our time today, is I'm trying to imagine that moment, that scene, when the disciples are so excited, so animated. Here's Peter diving into the water. He's swimming onto shore. And in my mind, this story could have taken a very difficult, awkward turn had Jesus responded in maybe ways that you and I, as human beings in our flesh, may have been tempted to respond. For example, can you imagine what would have happened had Jesus given the silent treatment? Jesus, knowing that Peter was basically in essence saying, I quit when he was saying, I'm going fishing. This Peter who had denied Christ three times. This Peter and the others who ran away in fear. This Peter who would somehow take out a sword to chop off a soldier's ear. Like, can you imagine Jesus just folding his arms the heavy breathing. Whew. Or how about the one word response? What if Jesus responded by saying, really? Or again? How about, dude, I'm trying to be really hip here. How about if Jesus said, Bro, what if it got even more serious? What if Jesus responded by saying, Peter, you're an absolute failure and disappointment. I can't use you. You're an embarrassment to me. I once said, that the church will be built upon you, but no longer my favor and my calling no longer rests on you. It's over.
when people ask me about an example of God's grace, a glimpse of the Father's heart, of Jesus' heart, this is why I love this story, because I truly believe Jesus could have said any of those things. If we're honest, it's possible that some of those statements have been said to you. Or perhaps in your anger or frustration, you may have uttered those words unto others. But rather than disappointment and judgment and fear or guilt or shame, as Peter and the other disciples come onto shore, I can just picture Jesus doing this. He points to the food, and then he says, come and have breakfast. Jesus cares for you. Jesus loves you. And during these crazy, turbulent, unjust, painful times of people screaming and shouting, so much confusion, I can't think of a more countercultural, subversive, and yet the most significant thing for us to come to Jesus, to be at his feet, to be nourished by Jesus and his words. But friends, I also want to remind you, this is not just a feel-good breakfast story. It's that, but there's so much more. As Jesus feeds them, he begins to remind them in that feeding who he is, who they are, but he reminds them, recommissions them, he re-empowers them. Go and feed my sheep. Do my work. Pursue the kingdom of God. So as we come to Jesus during these crazy times, let's listen, let's hear, let's feed, but let's also be reminded who we are as followers of Jesus in a strangely dim world. God bless you. God bless you.